Hi, and welcome to this installment of our new Books at the Heyman Center panel podcast, bringing you events from the Heyman Center archive. This podcast is sponsored by Columbia's Office of the Divisional Deans and the Faculty of Arts and Sciences, and the Society of Fellows and Heyman Center for the Humanities. I'm Olivia Branska. And I'm Tim Lundy. The presentations you are about to hear come from an event held on October 17th, 2018, honoring the work of Weil Halak, the Avalon Foundation Professor in the Humanities and a faculty member of the Department of Middle Eastern, South Asian, and African Studies at Columbia University. Professor Halak studies Islamic intellectual history, especially law and legal theory, in relation to modernity. While Professor Halak's research explores Islamic intellectual traditions in their own historical context, he is also interested in the history of how these traditions have been understood and misunderstood by Western scholars. In his 2018 book, Restating Orientalism, a Critique of Modern Knowledge, Professor Halak reevaluates the arguments made by the famous post-colonial scholar and cultural critic Edward Said. Said used the term Orientalism to describe the way that Western writers and scholars have historically defined their own identity in contrast to the cultures of Asia, North Africa, and the Middle East, inventing simplistic paradigms for understanding these cultures that have supported Western imperial domination. Professor Halak's book argues on the one hand that Said's definition of Orientalism is too broad, and that the problems Said describes are specific to colonial modernity. But Professor Halak also argues that Said's critique of Orientalism does not go deep enough. The academic study of law, philosophy, and even engineering and science rely on the same basic methods of producing knowledge as Orientalist scholarship. We must rethink the basic assumptions of academia itself, Halak argues, in order to find new ways of producing knowledge that challenge power instead of supporting it. First, we will hear Professor Halak describe his book's argument in more detail. After that, we will hear a response from Islam Dayeh, Assistant Professor of Arabic Studies at the Free University of Berlin, and former Edward W. Said Fellow in the Society of Fellows and Heyman Center for the Humanities at Columbia. I think one way to capture the broad arguments of uh, restating Orientalism is to begin with the language of the book's blurb, uh, which happened to be written by Columbia University Press's editor. I just approved it. Uh, there, the book is described as re-evaluating, that's the word used, deepening, and extending the critique of Orientalism. I want first to note that many of you may not be certain now whether the term Orientalism here refers to the academic discipline or to Said's uh, title. Uh, of course, no one is to be blamed for that. But this ambiguity itself is significant and quite telling. Said's work, despite major problems in it, still dominates uh, a phenomenon that I take seriously in the book, that is, and elsewhere. Why is this the case? Um, why the canonicity of the book? I take these questions and their answers to be precisely the manifestations of one of the prob problems in academia itself, especially in liberal epistemology and much of so-called post-colonial studies. This is why I take Said's work seriously, although I must stress very much 
that my book does not take the author and his work as its terminus ad I want to go back to the idea of extending on the blur. Uh, namely, that I extend the critique of Orientalism beyond Saeed's and the field of discourse that his work has spun. Yet I'm afraid that this extending is not the truth, the whole truth, and not, certainly nothing that has to do with the full truth. It is, in fact, a half-truth, if you will. I could not really even begin to extend Saeed's critique when he, like almost every scholar engaged in such matters, applies the term left and right almost to any idea or person writing about anything Islamic, Asian, or African. Statements like, you are an Orientalist, she's an Orientalist, have become so such a political weapon to be wielded against uh, anyone whose ideas you find politically objectionable. To be honest with you, this is one of the things that actually uh, in the beginning made me think about I need to clarify this, and it ended up to be a book. This is partly because Saeed erroneously taught us that Orientalists are to be found everywhere, from ancient Greece to 13th century Latin scholars to von Gronebaum, Bernard Lewis, and their likes. So it is not true that I extend the critique in any of these directions. If anything, in fact, I limit its diachronic scope. I rein it in. I refuse to accept its sweeping historical coverage. Orientalism is not transhistorical, and it did not increase in the last two centuries in quantity, as I'm using his words. That's, these are Saeed's words, in quantity, as Saeed himself uh, has argued in, in more than one place in his book. There was no Orientalism before modernity, not even in the high cultures of antiquity, who, according to, which, according to Saeed, were also racist, again, his word. So Saeed's quantity is refused in favor of quality, a quality that is strictly modern. I may even counter by deploying a, an equally categorical statement. No matter how you, you uh, ethnocentric, which is another word he uses to describe uh, empires, no matter how ethnocentric and how hegemonic pre-modern empires all were, none could wed knowledge to power and redefine ethics as our modern empires did and continue to do. But how do I extend the critique, which in fact I do? It is not an accident or a chance that the 20th century, not the 15th or 12th, produced Foucault and similar others. I extend the critique by doing at least two things. First, in order to show why it is a modern phenomenon, I deepened the exploration into the genealogy, that is the roots of uh, modern knowledge, in order to excavate a structure of thought that is, um, as, as a hegemonic structure, unprecedented in human history. Second, because this structure is a foregrounding structure, it did not just sit under the field of Orientalism alone. If the structure foregrounds modern thinking and ways of seeing and living in the world, then it radiates onto all disciplines, especially the ones formed by this structure as paradigms, what I call paradigmatic fields in the book. This is the accurate meaning of expanding the critique on the blur. I see engineering, economics, business schools, law schools, mainstream philosophy, science, medicine, and a host of others as being epistemologically structured in the same fashion as Orientalism was fashioned. The major difference from this perspective 
is the substantive content of each discipline. Orientalism is the most obvious field for the study of the other, even more so than anthropology. And it is here, in Orientalism, where racism, manipulation, control, domination, and sovereignty show themselves most obviously. My argument, actually my sustained argument, furthermore, is also that showing and practicing sovereignty over a Hindu or a Muslim in Asia is not very different from showing and exercising sovereignty over a tree or a river in the forests of Peru or Ecuador. I call each instance of these an epistemological genetic slice in the book. So this book, to make a long and complex uh, uh, story short and simple, is a study in modern sovereignty. In fact, I could have titled the book as such, A Study in Modern Sovereignty, by which I mean a study in, in the sovereignty of homo modernos. That's not just political sovereignty here. The notion of sovereignty is, going, is extended to, to, to the entire range of human existence. So it is a sovereignty of a particular kind of subject. And the subject here is, is extremely uh, important for, my, my, uh, for my, the arguments of my book. And so restating Orientalism is not just about Orientalism in its limited dis disciplinary meaning. It is also about subjectivity modern subjectivity, and particularly about the author's socio-epistemic formation. I take such, such questions, or rather I ask such questions as, what does it mean to be an author? What are the types of so-called author? What is a dead author? What is a dissenting author? What is a subversive author? What is critique? And how do we distinguish critique from criticism? What are we doing now in academia? What kind of thinkers are we? Are we taking, performing our uh, uh, academic mission as we should? Are we really good critics? All these questions have driven me to take up the theory of the author in order not just to question, theoretically, Said's sweeping and unwarranted condemnation of Orientalists as racist, but I do so also as a point of entry to the study of the modern author's subjective constitution. What is the relationship between critique and subjective formation? What is the relationship between critique and ethics? From the beginning of the book, I argue that I'm happy to see some schools and departments disappear from the university, at least in their present form. But I think Orientalism, as the field that studies non-European traditions, must be retained, provided we subject it to massive methodological and philological change. That is translated epistemological form, reformation. It is my argument, which I develop in a more recent work, uh, to be published actually next year by the same press, that humility, among other related concepts, constitutes the necessary epistemological means to create and refashion Orientalism in ways that, that can convert it to an established method of interacting with and learning from the other. Humility is a potent psychoepistemic tool, a great antidote to the arrogance we have developed toward other humans, uh, other non-humans as well, uh, sentient or insentient uh, existence, with certain associated qualities that I take up in the forthcoming book, bearing tellingly the title Reforming Modernity. Humility is a potent epistemological modality, a praxis, a habitus, if you will, 
that has the potential to change the fundamental structure of our perception as historians, anthropologists, economists, political theorists, philosophers, and scientists. But I must admit, given the time I have now, that I am taking you through the bridge that connects restating Orientalism with reforming modernity. Two books that tell only part of the story that I have not yet finished telling. What I have said so far is, uh, of course, a prelude to a complex discussion, which I hope will take place here. But I'm happy uh, to entertain any questions uh, you may have in the, uh, or objections for that matter. I know there would be many. <laughs> Next, we hear from Islam Daye, Assistant Professor of Arabic Studies at the Free University of Berlin. Professor Daye studies Islamic intellectual history in the early modern period especially the way that Islamic scholars edited and interpreted earlier texts. In his comments, Professor Daya asks Professor Halak how the assumptions underlying academic knowledge need to change to avoid Orientalist mistakes. He also asks Professor Halak how Halak's work fits into the larger project of decolonizing institutions like universities. Afterward, we will hear Professor Halak respond to these questions. So uh, I'll start with uh, a few comments, a few uh, uh, things that I found interesting in the book, and then the rest of my comments or critique will be in the form of a question, actually, and, and I hope that this will be uh, in the form of a dialogue will be much more worthwhile. The first thing is um, the, you know, much has been written about <coughs> Orientalism and how it fits broadly in, um, in, his, uh, in his scholarship and the reception of Saeed's work. Uh, Halak uh, emphasizes some of the, um, the major limits and contradictions and tensions and ambiguities inside its work. Um, and, and for Halak, the, the real issue is that Orientalism, as he says, is a symptom of colonial modernity rather than the cause. So it's, uh, it's part of a larger um, system of, of, uh, of knowledge where Orientalism, as he also mentions, engineering, business schools, journalism is also part of that. Um, um, broader formation. He, he spends, uh, he, he, he addresses several issues. One of them is the issue of authorship, which hasn't been raised yet, uh, or the author, um, more than authorship, and the issue of knowledge, uh, which I, my, most of my questions will actually be, and my comments will be about um, knowledge formation and uh, the absence of that criti critique inside its work. Um, Halak emphasizes that the, that the problem with knowledge construction modernity is the Enlightenment's concept of knowledge as domination of nature, which he compares, and this is an important heuristic in the work, the comparative method or the con contrasting method with the Arabic Islamic civilization, where he discusses, I think in chapter two, in, in several pages, um, uh, knowledge in pre-colonial Islam, medieval Islam, where he, which he describes as dialectical in nature. It's a fascinating analysis, I think these three, four pages about um, what knowledge was in, uh, in pre-modern Islam. Um, he, he mentions that um, the student, or the researcher, as it's called, as it's as it called, talib uh, al-ilm, where the, uh, the emphasis here is on the act of uh, pursuit of, of, of knowledge, which is also in Halak's terms 
an ethical pursuit um, because here knowledge is also always connected to or inseparable from amal. Ilm and amal, they always uh, go together. And uh, so it seems that his new project, which I'm looking forward to very much, um, about reforming Orientalism or the study of the other um, epistemologically is drawing on these traditions. And that's one of the questions I have. How you, you mentioned that you would like Orientalism to, to remain, to, to be, should retain that, but only if it is reformed epistemologically. And then you introduce concepts that we usually um, connect to ethical, the moral values, such as humility. And um, in one of your other seminars, you talk about a, a, an act of reading which is um, humble and uh, modest and uh, listening to the text rather than subjecting the text to um, to critique um, as we are accustomed to. Um, and this ties in with, with, the, with another discourse that you do not actually talk about in the book, which is the decolonization of knowledge discussion in the humanities. Um, and we, we've noticed in, in the last few years a big discussion in, especially places like in Africa, South Africa in particular, where even campus activism, students <coughs> calling um, for um, a reform or decolonization of philosophy, of the curriculum, literature, philology, a project that I'm invested in. Um, how do you locate your own work in that, in that broader movement of decolonization? Do you, um, do you see that a movement, does it, does it speak a language that is uh, different from the language of modernity? You know, this is a question that I think you discuss, an issue that you discuss in page 66, where you introduce Carl Schmitt's um, concepts of central domain and peripheral domain. And where you say, I think I, I, I quote you saying, modernity cannot be critiqued with the tools of modernity. It needs to be critiqued with something else from outside of it. And is that something that is outside of modernity? Is that the pre-colonial, pre which you are trying to recuperate or restore? Um, and how can that be done in, within the context of Colombia, for example, uh, or any other institution with all its um, limitations? Um, and, and, and also this brings me to, uh, to another question, which is the you know, other efforts uh, in, in the last few decades that also try to reform uh, the humanities and social sciences, uh, such as, you know, the, um, I think it was in the 70s or 80s, the Islam al Ma'rifa, this Islamization of, of, of the humanities, which I think is based here in, in Washington, D.C., led by uh, a group of uh, mostly actually um, engineers and doctors, uh, Muslim engineers and doctors who wanted to, and scientists who wanted to um, humanize, they called it uh, Islamize the humanities. Um, that, that project came to, to an end, I think. Uh, um, um, you refer in one footnote to Taha Abdurrahman, the Moroccan philosopher. Um, I would have liked to, to, to read more about Taha, how you see Taha Abdurrahman's project, because he's also involved very much in a critique of modernity, but also in a reform project. Uh, I think he, one of his books is actually that the subtitle is Madkhal Jadida al Hadath, right? A new introduction to modernity. Um, so, are you drawing on 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 Abdurrahman's work, uh, which is largely, I think, unknown in the West because it hasn't been translated? Um, and how do you see your work 
uh, fit in that generally. I think that's it. Thank you very much. <laughs> An interesting, uh, excellent question about decoloniality. Um, I, I, I find, um, I, I do engage uh, indirectly. Uh, I, call them, I call them my Latin American friends in the book here. Um, I do engage uh, Mignolo and Dussel in particular. Um, and and I, I appreciate their work tremendously. But I find that they, uh, um, including Kihano's work, uh, which I yet have to master more than the other two. Uh, but I find that, that, that they have not deviated much despite their unconventional uh, take on the issues of modernity and despite the, the affinity I have with them. It's a very close affinity I have with them. I find them very much navigating the terrains that the political economists navigate, which is, which is that... Uh, materialism, um, colonialism itself, uh, commercialism, the corporation themselves have been the cause of all of the, 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 the problems of, of modernity. What I dispute in this book, and where, where I differ with, with, with the Latin American school, is that there are prior um, thought structures in, uh, that determine why would the corporation be, in fact, even conceived. It's not enough to say, well, the, 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 the experiment with the Haitians uh, uh, created some fundamental forms of modernity, as one of my colleagues says. I think this, is, this, is, this, this presupposes another whole inquiry that antedates the, the, this, this phenomenon, is what made the exploitation of the Haitians take that particular way, that particular identity, that particular form. Uh, so I, I am in that sense, a, a, in this particular case uh, of, of analyze, I'm, I'm very much barbarian. Uh, I think that ideas have a grip on, on reality that are far more important than the material existence. Although in that sense, I don't, uh, materialism is, I don't take lightly either. It is, it's an important factor, but, but not when you want to explain a phenomenon like, like modernity. As for, uh, as for the book, I think uh, that Reforming Modernity, the one that I, the, the, the forthcoming book, is in fact about Taha Abdurrahman. Um, I engage him not only to present with, with several things in mind. One first is that he is, 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 is of such importance and caliber that he needs to be introduced to the English-speaking world first. Second, uh, I think his ideas are extremely impertinent for the critique of modernity. And third, I in fact engage with him as almost a partner. So the, yes, in that sense, we, there, there is a great intellectual affinity between our projects. Uh, I'm not sure I can be the um, religious ethicist he is, um, but, but I think his ideas are fundamentally important in order to be presented for the secular audience in ways that can appeal to them. Uh, how much I am indebted to Taha, it's, uh, your guess as, as, as good as mine. Uh, I'm not sure how much I'm indebted to anybody. I'm indebted to everybody. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast, celebrating Weil Halak's book, Restating Orientalism, a Critique of Modern Knowledge. We hope you'll join us next time when we discuss Adam Tooze's book, Crashed, how a decade of financial crises changed the world.
From Columbia University's Society of Fellows and Heyman Center for the Humanities, I'm Tim Lundy. And I'm Olivia Branscombe. Our theme music is the song Moonrise by Poddington Bear from soundofpicture.com.